Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday. So you know what that means. I'm turning things over to Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan for the patented joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you from uh, beautiful Salt Lake City. Uh, I just worked out some elevation. Um, you can call me Hollywood Duff. Uh, I got into filmmaking. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I'm making a documentary on how to fly a plane. I'm currently filming the pilot. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> Hollywood Duff, another original. That was, I actually liked that one. That was, that was pretty funny. Uh, thanks to Duff for always delivering the goods. And with a little luck, Duff and GNR may be delivering some new music to us next year. How amazing would that be? And speaking of new music, I got a little something to share today. It's new Christmas music from uh, from me as my first solo artist uh, uh, foray. Uh, I've always wanted to do a Christmas song because you're guaranteed record play at least once a year. Uh, I always kind of like the vibe of Wonderful Christmas Time and Santa Claus is Coming to Town and Winter Wonderland by Striper. Um, but I went to talk to Rich Ward and he's super busy with the new record. So over the summer, I put together my own merry band of, uh, of heavy metal maniacs. I called them the Christmas Hells. Uh, I wanted to cover one of my favorite Christmas tunes. I'm talking about the Kinks Father Christmas. Uh, here it is. It's the, uh, one of the world premieres. I think it's for the earliest you can hear it. It's available now on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, etc., etc. But let's hear it now on the Rock of Jericho. This is Chris Jericho and the Christmas Helves with Father Christmas.
your silly toys Father Christmas, please hand it over What made you up so don't make us annoyed Alright, what'd you think? My first Christmas song with a little help from the Christmas Hells. Our version of the Kinks, Father Christmas. And like I said, you can get it wherever you buy or stream music. Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, YouTube Music, iTunes, Amazon, Tidal, Deezer, Google Play. And if you're uh, if you're good, you might even get it in your uh, stocking from Le Santa, Le Claus. Father Christmas, give me some money. I always love that record and... Uh, a very rock and roll, heavy metal version of that uh, for presented to you from Chris Jericho and the Christmas Hells. All right. My guest today is comedian Ryan Niemiller. He came in third on America's Got Talent. And more importantly, he and I did a great skit uh, for the show once he made it to the finals. You hear the story about how that all came together. He's talking about his uh, America's Got Talent experience and the judges, including his interactions with Simon Cowell. Plus, Ryan is a huge wrestling fan. He actually trained to be a wrestler, and he explains why he gave it up and started doing stand-up comedy. It's a great conversation with a super funny guy. All right, so um, a few months ago, I had uh, the pleasure of going on America's Got Talent and doing a, a pretty funny little sketch with uh, with Ryan Nee Miller, who um, I, I, that was just a, a great time that day. It, it turned out so well. I was really happy with uh, with how that all came came across. Yeah, I was super pumped about it. I know it was something that we kind of talked about um, when we were there about sometimes when these type of shows do wrestling type things when they're not wrestling people, it can come off really hokey and really really corny and cheesy. But they, they seem to kind of be on board to, to, to let you and I sort of do it and right. not not, uh, not meddle with it all too much other than the normal TV things they had to do. Yeah, because like, like you said, I mean, obviously it was for America's Got Talent and, and we'll talk all about your experience there. You're a hilarious comedian and it was kind of for the final week and you're also obviously a huge wrestling fan as well. And every time they'll always go, well, yeah, hit him with a chair and, 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 and rip your shirt off and, and just growl at the camera and say let me tell you something brother like and we're like it doesn't work that way it's never as good as you think it's going to be when you do that kind of cliched stuff so we have to put a little bit of a comedic spin on it and then they you know added a little bit of drama in there and it just it really came across well did you get good feedback from it oh i got a lot of great feedback Uh, one of the things i was most excited about because i didn't get to see the final final cut until it actually aired oh wow on television on Wednesday. They let, they let me see kind of a rough draft that wasn't all the way there yet that morning. Mm. But I was in the, you know, they showed it in the in the Dolby Theater on Wednesday and I was very happy that it basically got all of the reactions that we were all hoping for. It got those reactions. So it got laughs, it got uh, you know, the drama of me getting getting my uh my bell rung a little bit there by Latino meat back <laughs> in there. Uh the comeback um, got a real big pop in the in the building, so it was it was very cool. I'm I'm glad that it kind of came off as well as it did, 
because not everyone in that building is a wrestling fan. So mm-hmm. for, for it to kind of come over, you know, to wrestling fans, because I've got a lot of good feedback, you know, from wrestlers and, and from wrestling fans about it, but also just from, uh, you know, casual people who don't care about wrestling at all. They liked it too. So it was, uh, I'm glad it went over so well. Did you get any feedback from, uh, from Simon after you ripped his face off? After uh, we went to commercial right after that, and he kind of was walking by to go to the bathroom, and I kind of jokingly was like, "Hey, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that." And he was like, "No, nah, it was funny, man. Don't worry about it." So, <laughs> so he liked it as well. Um, he's kind of a tough critic, so I'm glad he enjoyed it too. Let's let's talk about the whole America's Got Talent experience because I mean, obviously, it's one of those things where even my little bit on it for the next couple of weeks would be like, "Oh, I saw you on America's Got Talent last night," or. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest shows on TV and one of the biggest kind of if you when you get involved in that, it really kind of shoots into the mainstream. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how it trans transformed your life, I guess, over the last four or five months. Oh, it's been an incredible change. You know, six months ago, I couldn't get, you know, longtime family friends to come out to shows <laughs> if it was more than 15 minutes away from their house. <laughs> you know. And now I'm getting people, you know, coming to shows like people have been like, yeah, I drove here five hours to come see you. And I'm like, man, I didn't even want to drive five hours to be here. So like, that's that's pretty incredible. Um, Just just the amount that it's done for, you know, just business wise, being able to, you know, get into new clubs that wouldn't have even responded to emails a year ago. And people excited to see me. You know, I went to the uh, the Colts Raiders football game. And it took me about an hour to get out of the building just because everyone wanted to stop you and be like, hey, can I get a picture? You were so great. We, we voted for you. My family loves you. My wife's going to be jealous. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of those type of things. So um, so it, it's definitely different. It's not um, uh, it, it's kind of hard to prepare for that, I guess, because it is very sudden. It's not um, there's there's other venues of comedy where it can kind of be more of a subtle build. And it takes years and you get there and then like, okay, I've had, you know, benchmarks to kind of prepare for this. Mm-hmm. America's Got Talent's really fast. You know, in the course of four months, my life is incredibly different than it was when it started. It's amazing. Like I said, when, I think we were talking about this when I did Dancing with the Stars. It just opened up a whole new world of like, I remember, you know, if you can last this week, then you'll be on the Tonight Show. If you can last this week, you'll be on the Ellen Show. If you can last this week, you'll be on, you know, Jimmy Kimmel or whatever it was. And I had some modicum of fame at that point from 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 wrestling, but they're not going to have you on their talk show. But you do Dance with the Stars for three or four weeks, and suddenly you're the bell of the ball in Hollywood. It, it, there's so much focus and so much of a of an emphasis on those types of shows when they're as popular as they are. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, even the fact that, you know, I was shown on uh, Extra. Mario Lopez talked about me randomly once. Right. Like, <laughs> like me and Slater are, uh, are by proxy <laughs> boys now. <laughs> That's what I'm telling everybody anyway. Right. You're the, you're the new Shriek. Shri- uh, shri- shri- <laughs> shriek. Shriek. <laughs> Is that, that Halloween Screech? Screech. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. I think we got to create our own character, Shriek. He's even better. He's even more annoying. <laughs> But, but let's talk about, too, like, tell, tell about the process of, of getting into America's Got Talent and, and what's kind of the attitude. Like, I'm assuming things have kind of changed to where even, like, I remember when, when Idol first started, it was kind of a little bit of a, a snobbery within the business. Like, oh, wow, like, you know, if Neil Young was ever on American Idol, he never would have even made it past the first round. This is fabricated BS. But now it's kind of an accepted way to get your name out there and to become well-known 
as a performer to do these types of shows? Yeah, yeah. For me, it's a thing um, with the nature of the show. The the way I kind of looked at it, you know, like artistically, for any type of talent on a talent show like that, it might not be the one hundred percent exactly what you wanted to do. You know, uh, you know, I'm a dirty comic when mm-hmm. I'm actually performing. You know, and for this, it's clearly it's NBC, it's prime time, it's very. Yeah, not, cookie cutter is not the word I'm looking for, but it's very it's very strict on what you can say language wise, and, sure. and and that makes perfect sense. But the way I sort of look at these type of shows, especially now, there unless you do something incredibly embarrassing, no one really remembers specifically what you did. You know, they don't they don't remember if if you do a little corny thing like like there's a I, I love my mom to death. But we did a little scene during one of the rounds where it's me and my mom on the beach kind of looking into the sunset, having this little. And that's not how my mom and I are. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was probably insulting her and she was insulting me while we were filming that. <laughs> in that little thing. But but nobody's going to remember that. And, you know, they don't remember it now. Sure. So so you kind of play the game a little bit on that front. And now people know who I am. Like it, it is a way to get on there. They don't remember, oh, here's the corny thing you did or here's the 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 quote unquote fabricated thing that happened. They just remember, oh, yeah, you killed it on America's Got Talent. You finished third. That's awesome. I'm glad you're here. So I can do whatever I want now. <laughs> you yeah. know, it opens up these things because now I have a little bit of cachet. People know my name. Now it lets me work on like any project I want to. It's interesting that you say that because I remember, I think we talked about this on Dancing with the Stars. Like, you know that every single bit of TV time is so valuable. And I remember like they would give you a, you know, five second interview or 10 second interview before your dance or before a commercial break. And I always would come up with some kind of a joke. I'd have a, a friend of mine who's a comedy writer. We'd come up with different things, like whatever was topical at the time. Because you know that they might not remember the exact dance routine or the exact comedic routine that you did. They just remember the vibe of, I like this guy. He's funny. And that's what you want to walk away from this having the, the reputation of like, he was really good. It might not remember the exact minutes or, or like you said, some of the cornier stuff. But just you leave like a, a warm and fuzzy feeling in people's hearts. Yeah. And that was what I was trying to do, too. Um Taylor Williamson, who's a comedian, um, he finished runner-up in season eight of America's Got Talent, and he really hammered this home to me. He was like, every second that you are on camera, utilize it. Mm-hmm. You know, so so even my entrances, you know, when I was coming out for the uh, for my performances, I was basically doing pro wrestling entrances. Right. You know, there was there was theme music, and I'm playing to the crowd, and I'm doing all this. I'm trying to get everyone excited. When they have the little moment where you're just on camera, when Terry Crews is saying. Hey, if you want to vote for Ryan, you could do it 10 times. You know, I'm doing, you know, um, this since this is audio and people might not be familiar with me, I have a disability in my hands. I basically have five fingers total. So when he was saying 10 votes, you know, I was putting my hands up and then looking and then doing it again, like doing it (laughs) twice to be able to, you know, just a really quick, subtle, silent joke. But you're on camera. You don't just want to stand there and and stare blankly into it. People are going to be like, what the hell's wrong with that guy? Why is he <laughs> sure. why isn't he doing anything? I remember your uh, – and we'll t- I want to talk to you about this too, about kind of your, your style of comedy because obviously, like you said, what is the, the affliction that you have? What's it called? Um, it's, uh, I have a congenital birth defect in my arms. There you go, guy. Okay. Um, basically, from the elbow down, it, it got weird. Uh, <laughs> like that. But uh, – 
But yeah, it's a, we don't know if it, what caused it. My mom had the flu really bad when she was pregnant with me, so it thinks we think it has something to do with that. But uh, I could have just got lucky. You know, you just don't know with some of these type of things. So, so basically, you said you have five fingers because when, when we met, it doesn't look like you have really any fingers. Well, well, how dare you? I, I noticed your fingers, Chris. I, <laughs> no, but you had one. You, you have kind of like like it looked like two fingers were fused together. So there's one yes. finger there, right? Yeah, I got I got one uh, a flipper essentially on the right. left side. I love your uh, your opening bit on your uh, on your audition where you said, "I just flew in from Indiana, and boy, are my arms missing." <laughs> <laughs> It's one of my favorite jokes because it like that. That's one of those jokes too because everyone knows that joke. That <laughs> right, my arms tired. It's such a cliche hack joke <laughs> that I was able to put a little bit of spin on myself. <laughs> so, because I, 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 a mutual friend of ours, a good friend of mine, Brad Williams, he's a, a little person and, and obviously super funny guy. And a lot of his routine is built up by the fact of yes, I'm a little person, and this is what I deal with uh, going through life. How did you and when did you start seeing the comedy in in the in your birth defect? Because I'm sure when you were a kid, knowing how mean little kids can be, did you always combat that with comedy, or how did you finally uh, figure out how to deal with it? Yeah, I figured it out really young. I would say probably four or five when I first started going to school and being around kids a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I learned that if I hit the jokes first. No one could touch me. I was so much better at all of it. I was so brutal to myself. I would not even give them a chance to top me. They'd just be like, oh, damn. Okay, well, I can't beat that. So we like this guy now. Mm. You know, so so I didn't really get made fun of all that much. I get made fun of by kids more now <laughs> than when <laughs> I was a kid. Yeah, right, right, right. Because because you're not allowed to like really yell at kids now. It kind of makes you a psychopath. So <laughs> you kind of just have to be like, well, all right. <laughs> Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When do you remember like your first couple jokes? Was it really young? Uh, it, it was fairly young. Yeah, it was always, um, you know, uh, my cousin tells a story about us being at like a, a party at their house and they had a pool and I was just kind of sitting next to the pool with her and then just randomly going, yeah, I don't swim much. <laughs> you know, just, just a real subtle thing like that. Like I just remember always using it as a way to, when you, when you have a disability, a lot of times when you're, every time I enter a room, I have to make everyone comfortable. You know, it's just a situation sure. that, you know, I don't have to, but it makes my life a lot easier because people always have questions. People will try to offer you help you didn't ask for. It can become a thing. So I always used humor as the method to just basically diffuse any kind of weird tension in the room. And then people just be like, okay, yeah, he's fine. I don't need to worry about him. How do uh, you have a, like I said, when I when I thought we were going to be doing something together, I watched a bunch of your stuff, and you, you have a great point of when people come and they meet you for the first time and have to point out things that you can't do, to, and say they're talking about how it sucks that you can't do all these things. It's so weird. Like 
Why would you do that to anyone else? Like, you wouldn't go up to a fat guy and be like, I bet you can't run, dude. That sucks. <laughs> like, no, you just <laughs> you just let it go. But, like, people just always want to point out, here's a fun thing I like. Can you do it? I'm like, well, no, because it's not fun for me. Like, why would I? <laughs> he said, yo-yo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, that's based on a true story. People, like, that guy told me yo-yo. What, what happened? Like, yeah, a guy, like, he literally was like, oh, man, dude, that sucks that you have that. But you can't even, like, yo-yo. And I'm like, well. Who gives a shit? <laughs> you know, like, who cares? Like, that's... of all the things, that... yeah, yeah. Who's who's losing sleep over not being able to yo-yo? <laughs> but so, so you do have, like you said, you have five fingers, and your arms are basically shorter. But because you grew up this way, it's all that you know. So, is there is there literally like, I mean, we're not talking about playing center for the LA Lakers, but is there anything that you really can't do? Not really. At least not things that are like not easy to like everything that I can't do is very easy to get around. Like like I can't really tie shoes that well. But, you know, there's plenty of shoes that don't require being tied. Slip ons. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't I don't swim, but that's more just because I'm terrified of water than anything else. So right. I just stay out of the water and I've won. <laughs> you know, right, like, right, right, right. How about like, stuff like, I, like combing your hair and stuff? You just have to bend your head head down or you just don't worry yeah. about it? Yeah, just, just stuff like that you figure out. Uh, yeah, a lot of people are always so like, like, oh, it must have been hard to like learn to dress yourself. Well, no, because I don't know any right. other – Like humans are pretty adaptable. Like if you – are just born in a situation you figure it out because you have to wear pants yeah people, people get mad if you don't do that out in public so yeah you figure it out. I, I know like i know a guy his name is nick uh, sano tassos or whatever he's one of those long greek names he, he was born without any legs and basically just one arm and this guy's like a male model and he's he works out he's done bodybuilding contests he's played the drums he won an amateur wrestling match for real it's like you just learn how to deal with it and it probably makes you a much more confident and stronger person as well yeah it, it's a, a situation where like I mean, I'm not going to lie and say it was just always super easy and it's not frustrating at certain times. There's things that you wish you could do better. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my dream was always to be a pro wrestler and right. just and, and just body wise, it wasn't going to work for me. It wasn't so much the arms. It was more like my back. You know, I was born with the with a pretty rough back because of the arms. You know, I have to bend over further to do things. Oh. So my back is kind of um, if I, it's hard for me to stand up completely straight sometimes because of that. Really? And, and that kind of stuff factors in you know and and so like it's frustrating a little bit because that was always the dream but you kind of figure out what you're good at and you go from there Uh, I always thought it was very disingenuous even when I was like five years old when you know friends parents would be like you can do anything everyone else can well no the hell I can't Mm -hmm. like that's not how this works but there's gonna be stuff that I'm really really good at that I'll be able to do um, I, I think it's a dangerous thing to tell kids they can do anything because they can't, you know, <laughs> but they can figure out things that they can do and that they'll be better than everyone else at. Right, right. You know, and I think another thing, like you mentioned, just growing up like this, I, I broke my arm I don't know, 25 years ago and it was my right arm. And dude, like even things like I had long hair at the time, putting my hair in a ponytail or putting deodorant on or like like wiping my butt. It's like. It was so hard to to try and figure out how to do that as a left-handed guy when I was always used to having two hands. But if you said, if you just grew up that way, it's not like it's ever been different for you. So you just do it and, and make it work, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. It, it's always um, uh, I've had talks with people who who are limb different now, you know, based on an accident or something along those lines. So they had the arm before but lost it. And the transition can be a lot harder for them because they remember how easy it was before. Right. While they're trying to learn it. Whereas for me, I never knew the difference. Like it was never a thing I had. So for me, it was like, oh, this is just how you do things. It's interesting. Do you, do you, at this point now, when when you have such a, a, a bigger presence and, and and some some good fame surrounding you, do you feel almost like a role model for for people with congenital birth defects? Have you had any conversations with with other people that look up to you now because of that? Uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, I'm not going to lie and say that's why I got into any of this. I, I think anyone who says like I'm going to do something so I can inspire people is kind of a jackass. Like that's such a, that's such a weird like thing. The like what makes you so damn important that right. <laughs> you know, I'm going to inspire the masses, you know? But 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 it has it has been a nice uh, thing, you know. Getting I've got a lot of like emails and messages and such from you know parents of children with disabilities who are like, well, I didn't know how it was going to be for my kid, but you showed that. You know, you can still do anything you need to do. You can get things done uh, and you can get things done on a high level. And and that's meant a lot. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not uh, like I said, I think it's disingenuous to try to inspire people. But it's been a nice, uh, uh, I guess, side effect of all of this that people are excited because people with disabilities are incredibly underrepresented in entertainment and things along those lines. So for me just to go out there, and even if I'm talking about my disability, at the end of the day, I still have to be funny, Mm. you know? So, so just showing that, that the world will accept it. You know, I've done, I've auditioned to play a handicapped person on television before and was told that I was too handicapped to be handicapped. Like that's a, that's a legitimate thing. I really, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I wasn't the right kind of handicap, apparently. It was too much. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Sir. Were they looking for somebody with a lisp or something? Like, you know yeah, like I mean? it was so – like, <laughs> like, like you're, you're just supposed to be a woman. Uh, that's why this doesn't work. Right. Uh, but, huh. yeah, but, so that, that's kind of been my experience. And a lot of people – you know, I have friends who are actors with disabilities. And that's been a lot of our experience over the years. So – there's still a lot of work to do, but I kind of hope what I did shows that, you know, it can be powerful. It's not this thing that if people see it, they're going to be like, ew, gross. I'm never watching this show again, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, we live in a society now that really embraces that more than ever. I think it's almost like perfect timing for you because now with transgenders and uh you know what's her name you know oh, like caitlin jenner caitlin jenner yeah it's like now a guy like you and, and like that's like a brad williams kind of sticking people's faces that it's okay to be different you know i, th- I think it's actually really a good time for you at this point almost uh, I, the timing worked out really well and, and it's something that um i think uh, i haven't had direct conversations with anyone at AGT about this, but I mean, I've been trying to get on the show in one way or another for about five years. Mm. And, and I think five years ago, they were probably still uncomfortable with it just based on how, you know, entertainment standards are and how society kind of still treats disabilities. You know, I, I obviously I, I'm kind of speaking from someone with a disability, but I've always felt that disability seems to be the one 
thing that people still are really tentative about. Right. Like you, you can talk about, you know, religious differences and sexuality and, you know, race and kind of things like that. People are more willing to hear those conversations now. But disability is still one of those things like, well, I don't I don't know. Like this is kind of uncomfortable. I don't know where to look because if I get any type of uh, blowback on like the AGT comments on the YouTube videos or anything like that. It's usually something along the lines of, oh, that's all you can talk about. I wish you'd talk about something else. Right, right, right. I'm not, I'm not talking about a disability. I'm talking about my life. Like, that's the difference I always try to make to people. It's not me just using this as a gimmick or anything like that. It's This is literally how I exist. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't want me to talk about the disability, quit staring at me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> One of you date me. If one of you marries me, I'll shut up about it forever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you will never I'll talk about cats or whatever you need me to at that point. But until that happens, I'm gonna talk about my actual personal life. These are my real experiences. Yeah, it's just the same way that, you know, Seinfeld, his whole routine is about the, the things that he notices in his life, or Chris Rock talking about the things that he grew up with. It's it's the same thing. Just and like we mentioned, you you have for lack of a better term, a gimmick that makes you stand out from the pack of comedians. So you can use that to your benefit. Yeah. If I don't talk about the disability at all, I become a mid thirties straight white guy. Yeah. Oh man. If only we had more of those in entertainment. <laughs> you know? Like why, why would I want to be more like the, everybody else? <laughs> like when you said, uh, if people ask you if your condition is genetic, yeah. <laughs> What's your answer? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, because you see, my mom was Irish and my dad was a lobster. <laughs> Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Let's talk about, you mentioned that you you had this dream to grow up as a wrestler, uh, to be a wrestler. Yeah. But you actually, you told me that you actually trained to, to wrestle for a while. Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so um, in college, I was probably about 21 at the time. Um, I really started to kind of seriously look at it. Um, I had just changed my major um, to theater uh, at Indiana State. So, um, And the reason I originally did theater was that was going to help me be a wrestler. Like that was going to be the thing that – because I know I wasn't going to be the most athletic guy in the world. I'm not going to be – I'm, I'm just not that guy. You know, Shawn Michaels, I am not. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But but for me, I was kind of looking at it in a way like, oh, OK, what can set me apart is I have this natural charisma and I'm going to get like actual acting training. I'll be able to do all these other things, because especially back then, you know, this was, you know, mid 90s wrestling was still kind of really hokey a lot of the time, yeah. you know, and, and there wasn't any emphasis on like I didn't see a lot of wrestlers that actually looked like they were trained actors to do that part of the thing. So I was like, oh, that'll set me apart. Everything I'll do will feel real and, you know, like all that. And uh, I found a, uh, a couple guys who just basically owned a ring. They were independent wrestlers in southern Indiana. 
who just had a ring and they kind of saw me post on some forums or something like that. And they were like, Hey, if you want to come down here, we'll train you a little bit and we'll kind of see where it goes. And I I went down there for about three months and uh, my back just couldn't take it. It was, uh, you know, that bumping is, uh, is not fun. I don't got to tell you that it's not, uh, it, it, it was a thing I always tried to explain when people are like, you know, the, the argument that you hear a thousand times, well, that's fake, isn't it? And I'm like, well, no, uh, I've hurt myself way more doing the quote unquote fake stuff than I did playing real sports. <laughs> you know, I was in a way more pain than when I played football or anything like that. So, yeah, it, it was just a thing that, uh, you know, I, I gave it a whirl. I, I tried. Um, it just didn't work out. But luckily, I had found out I really loved performing like, you know, theater and improv and things along those lines. So it wasn't, like, as heartbreaking as it could have been. But uh, but I never lost the love of wrestling. That was the thing that sort of, uh, you know, it helped me out a lot when I was growing up. It was kind of a positive thing in, a, in my life when, you know, my home life was pretty filled with turmoil mm-hmm. and things like that. So it was just something that, uh, that uh, I really uh, grew to love. Just quickly, you said that you used to play football as well? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I played football all the way through high school. I was a starting offensive lineman my senior year. Uh, yeah, I actually played. It wasn't uh, the those, those ESPN stories where they let a kid score a touchdown, you know, when the game's like already 70 to nothing. Right. Those always infuriate me because I got my ass beat, Chris. I, <laughs> right. I, I was more tape than man. Because <laughs> I, I was just, I, I was really playing and I was really getting getting beat up. It was another thing too, where I kind of learned little uh, little secrets when I was playing football. Um, the first play of the game, every single game, I would reach out and shake the hand of the defensive lineman in front of me. Mm. Just be like, "Hey, good luck out there." And as soon as he saw my hand, he would never want to hit me the rest of the game. So <laughs> <laughs> you got to work harder or work smarter, not harder. That's right. Well, it's like I told you. Like I said, my friend Nick, um, I mentioned earlier, he actually won an amateur wrestling match for his weight class. And it wasn't like, you know, like they let him win. It's like, you know, you got beat by a guy with no legs and one arm. Like how, how bad do you feel? Like working extra hard to, to make it, to make an impression. So, um, but doesn't that kind of instill a work ethic in you that surrounds you to this day in your professional life as a comedian too? Oh, oh, absolutely. It's um, um, a thing that you have to, I always feel like I have to prove myself Mm -hmm. at all times. And that kind of fuels me, Mm. you know, even if it's not directly disability related, but you know, if someone doubts me, that's going to make me work hard to prove them wrong. Uh, A lot of my career is based on spite. (laughs) So so not not like anger. I don't, I don't wish ill upon people, but if you're like, well, this guy can only talk about this. Well, screw you. I'll talk about this and still be funny. I don't care. You know, like, well, We'll make this happen. Uh, so yeah, it, ha- it has been. I, I I work hard. I I bust my ass to do this, and now that I'm here, I'm going to work even harder to make sure I stay here. Right, right, right. Let's talk about your journey as a stand-up comedian. What finally made you decide that uh, you wanted to get into this professionally? Uh, basically, I-, I was doing a little bit of professional theater, just some like summer stock kind of smaller things around the Midwest, and. It basically got to the point where I got tired of telling other people's stories, mm-hmm. I guess. You know, like, I was out there, you know, even if it would be a great show, like, I was telling Shakespeare's story, not mine. You know, so right. 
you know, and, and his, his story's been told a few times. I think everyone kind of gets it <laughs> with him now. So for me, I was like, well, I want more opportunities to be able to talk about what's important to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had always loved stand-up. It's something that I had always watched a lot of it growing up. It was one of the few things my dad and I really bonded on. He would let me stay up late sometimes and watch like Gallagher. Oh, wow. <laughs> things right. like that. Uh, and, and we didn't really, we weren't close on a lot of other things, but that was always kind of a cool moment. It was like, oh yeah, I get to stay up and we're going to watch stand-up. Um, so I kind of had a love of it from that. And basically right after I graduated college and finished up a, a summer theater thing, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to move to LA and we're going to start and we're going to just flounder for a while and figure it out. So when you moved to LA, I always love these stories of just packing up your bags from Indianapolis, you know, and, and going to LA. Where did you start? Where did you lay your, your, your tracks down, so to speak? Uh, I started in Pasadena at the Ice House. Um, which is to this day still one of my favorite comedy clubs in the entire country. I didn't really know where else to start. Uh, I mean, the reason I moved to L.A. to start is because that's where I thought you had to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I knew there was stand-up elsewhere around the country, but I thought, you know, if you're performing in Indianapolis, you were sent from New York or you were sent from L.A. Mm -hmm. That's where the the comedian factory was. (laughs) (laughs) You know, pumped them out and then send you out to into the wild. Um, so, so I moved out there. Um, I had a buddy, uh, his name's Nate, still a good friend of mine. He was a college roommate of mine who was an engineer for Los Angeles County. And he basically had a free room and he said, Hey, if you, as long as you work and as long as you're trying to do things, you can't just sit around and do nothing. But as long as you're trying, I won't charge your rent. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I basically had a sugar daddy, <laughs> so helped me get started, <laughs> right, right. which was very nice of him. So, uh, yeah, so I just went out there and then I didn't know where else to look. I just kind of went online and searched for, you know, stand-up comedy in Pasadena and found there was a class being taught at the Ice House uh, by a woman named Bobby Oliver, um, who's a, who's an old, she's an old road dog. She's been doing it for, you know, 30 years at this point. Um, she, it was kind of a, a way to get started and start networking with people and just get on stage. The you know, if you got through the entire class, you got to do like a five minute showcase on the main stage at the Ice House, which was kind of exciting when you're just starting. You don't belong there when you're two months into comedy. But it was a nice little thing to get a tape of that, and then then just kind of hit the ground running. And then and then do you like just start calling places yourself, or do you, do you have a, a did you have a booking agent, or how how did you do it? Uh, it was just all me. It was uh, it was just through the networking because the the good thing is as long as you're not a douchebag, <laughs> other comics will help you out. Like you know, I would do these shows. I would do this coffee shop open mic, and there'd be eight comics there, and two of those comics would run an open mic somewhere else. So I would just become friends with them, and then I go do their open mic, and then at that open mic, two of those comics would run their own shows somewhere else. So I was doing it all by myself. I, I didn't have a booking agent until literally two weeks ago. That was the first oh, booking wow. agent I've ever gotten. Um, it was one of those things. Uh, luckily, the the right people got a hold of me early as far as comics go. Brad Williams being one of them, basically saying, you know, anyone who's going to take you on to be your booking agent when you're two years in is a shyster. Gotcha. They're trying to because. You don't deserve great gigs when you're two years in. It's part <laughs> yeah. of the process of getting better at it. You know, like like almost every comic is awful for a long time until they're not. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So any manager who our booking agent who's like, Oh, I can do this for you. 
I was doing gigs that people with managers were doing too that I got myself. So why would I give people 10% of my free chicken wings? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> there just wasn't any purpose to it. Uh, the, the comedy business is a little weird like that. Like most agents, they, it's risk reduction. They want to know you're marketable. They don't really work on potential, which makes perfect sense um, when you kind of think about it. So now, now I'm marketable. It's actually beneficial for me. It's, Ten years ago, it was not. It's kind of the same as, as anything in show business, like you mentioned. Like if you're just starting out as a band or just starting out as a wrestler, you're not calling Metallica or or you know AEW in your first couple years because the worst thing you could do is being put in a position where you're going to have a tryout or an audition and you're not ready. And then people remember you as the guy who's not ready, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And that's something Brad actually told me really early was whenever you think you're ready for something, wait about two years, then you actually might be Hmm. because comedy, especially like it works in these little like tiers. Like once you get your first five minutes down where you're consistently doing well with it, Suddenly, you think you should be headlining shows. <laughs> you know, you're right, like, right. Five minutes is so good, but I should at least be doing twenty minute sets now. But but twenty minutes is such a different animal from five minutes. But you don't realize that until you fail a few times at it, and then go, oh, okay, this is hard. But it's real easy to get impatient. You know, I thought I was ready for television five years ago, but now, kind of after going through the process of America's Got Talent. Had I gotten it my first try five years ago, I would have crashed and burned. I wasn't emotionally ready. I wasn't as skilled of a performer then. I would have totally blown that opportunity. Well, yeah, because you mentioned that you had the opportunity to to do America's Got Talent, or they were they were pursuing you a few years ago. You told me that. Yeah, they were they were sort of looking into you know like it's it's not really like they were pursuing you directly, mm-hmm. but. Taylor Williamson, again, he, he had put in kind of a word that like, hey, you might want to, you know, let this guy audition. He's, uh, you know, he's unique. He's got a good story. He's funny. Um, and, I, and I came into that audition so cocky. Again, it was that thing where like in your head you think like, oh, I've been crushing it for so long now. I can just go in. It's 90 seconds. I only got to talk for 90 seconds. That's easy. Mm-hmm. I do that all the time. I can do that without even trying. And I went without even trying and blew it. <laughs> it really? Was, Oh, it was not a good, good audition at all. It was a, it was a good learning experience. I needed to be humbled a little bit in that regard. Um, you know, I, it wasn't like such a, 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 you know, a crater from a meteor hitting and exploding that I couldn't recover from it five years later, obviously. <laughs> but, but I was not happy with myself. I was like, okay, I really need to take these more seriously and, and realize it's not all just natural talent that's going to get you there. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. talk about you know it's just very interesting because i've had you know brad on the show and i just had uh fluffy on you know uh, recently and how did you know you talk about putting together a good five minutes and then expanding that to 10 minutes or and to have a headliner set of a good 60 minutes 
it seems like that is much more difficult than than a layman who doesn't understand comedy. It's like putting together a great set list if you're in a band. Like to get 15 great songs or a flow to to your set, it's very difficult to do, and it takes quite a few years to really hone that down. How how many minutes do you have, and how do you how do you add to that and try out new material uh, if you don't know for sure if it's going to work or not? Yeah, at this point, if you ask me to do like all of my material in a row, it's probably three or four hours. <laughs> but 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 not all of that like works together. You know, there's there's certain things I don't do during shows because it's such a weird one off that it doesn't fit in with everything I'm doing. So it's like, oh, well, it's a funny joke, but there's nothing to tie it to anything yet. So I'll kind of table it for now. But yeah, kind of like you're saying, it's more than just like anyone could go up there and talk for 60 minutes. Even if it would be a nightmare for you, every single person in the world could talk to an audience for 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. But to make it have like a flow to it, because you can't have, you know, you have to have ups and downs. You got to kind of bring the energy down so you can bring it back up again. You kind of have to keep your topics together, um, you know, unless you're like a crazy one-liner comic, uh, which I respect the hell out of because that is not easy to do for 60 minutes. There, there is that certain flow to it. It's not just telling 60 minutes worth of jokes. It's telling a story right. while you're doing it as well. You want there to be a through line if you can make it happen. You want there to be a point. You know, you want there to be places where you kind of check in with people and they can kind of see like, oh, that was the end of that section. Now we're starting this section. Um, and, and it does take a while, not only just to build up that many jokes that work, but then you have to build up that many jokes that work together. And that's that's what took me the longest to figure out. I, I could do 45 minutes relatively early, but it was bad because everything was just random. <laughs> right, right, right. When you think of, about comedians uh, as you started really kind of studying uh, the genre, who were your favorites and, and uh, kind of inspirations for you? Uh, really early on, um, favorites, uh, Dave Chappelle, he, he's someone that can take any topic and expand on it. Um, I can't remember who I heard say it, but like he, Chappelle is so good that he can take even the hackiest of topics and do the definitive version of it. So, you know, when everyone was talking about Bill Clinton, he was doing the best Bill Clinton jokes. Mm. You know, when anyone was joking about Michael Jackson, he was doing the best Michael Jackson jokes. You know, he's kind of like the benchmark for that. Uh, and then Jim Gaffigan. Uh, Jim Gaffigan was really big for me. He uh, He's from near where I grew up. So I think that was kind of the original tie was like, oh, yeah, he's from he can make it from here. So I can, too, kind of thing. And and again, just like the, the guy can talk about nothing for an hour and you don't notice that he's just been talking about bacon and candy. <laughs> you know? Like at the end of the day, he's not really talking about anything, but you're like, this is brilliant. Uh, and, and that's sort of what I was wanting to, you know, do early on was just be able to take any topic and, and just make it work. How did it work? Um, being on America's got talent and cause how long was the, I guess the season for you from, from beginning until the, the actual finale. So the process for me started sometime around November, December, um, basically where they kind of they, they, you're sort of told, hey, you know, you're being very strongly considered to actually get to audition in front of the judges. Uh, nothing's ever finite. I'm, I'm sure you kind of know that from years of being mm -hmm. with television. Nothing is a sure thing until it's already happened. <laughs> you know, right, so, of course. Yeah. 
So for the, so that process started there, uh, probably November, and then it was the the next point of that was to okay, let's figure out what jokes you're going to do. That 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 was probably the most stressful part of the entire thing was those first couple sets because you have to get everything approved and, and all the acts have to do it. It's not just the comedians, you know, the singers. You have to get your song approved and you have to if you're a juggler, you have to show them what you're going to juggle, <laughs> how it's mm-hmm. going to, you know. So, but, but that was the trickiest part. Cause I'm so used to, you know, in standup, usually like, oh, you have seven minutes. No one micromanages you. No one tells you oh, here's the seven minutes you have to do. But for this, because it's television and it's NBC and it's primetime and there's sponsors and there's all these other kind of crazy things, you have to make sure that, you know, you have to send them a script and you have to send them a video of you doing those jokes just to show how it's going to sound and how it's going to look. And, uh, that process that that took me probably the longest was for those first two rounds having to do that. It's amazing. I think people don't understand just how many uh, boxes you have to check when you do like how there's so many trademarks and like you can't wear certain clothes, nothing with any print on it, and there's so much behind it. So I can see that being a little frustrating when you have to submit a script, especially when comedy, there is always a little bit of an element of improv to it as well. But you can't do that when you're on, you know, a national huge television show. Exactly. Um, Just to kind of show, like, uh, give an example of that without revealing too, too much. Um, So during my first, uh, my very first audition, um, I I do a joke about uh, kids staring at me in public. And, you know, I like to pretend that I'm discovering my arms for the first time, too, <laughs> when I do that. So I do this big act out where I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? Call somebody. <laughs> uh, uh, and, th- and then the final line of that joke um, is something along the lines of, and that's why I'm not allowed at Toys R Us anymore. <laughs> when I actually did the performance for that, uh, when I did it in front of the judges and such, I got such a big laugh and big reaction for the oh my god what happened call somebody that i did the comedian thing where you you leave them wanting more like i'm not going to top that with the next line so i'm not going to do that line yeah you know got the reaction got the judge's comments um when i got off stage they were like okay we want that line so we're gonna have you do that joke one more time (laughs) and i went oh okay this is a different animal then this is not a comedy club this is television right you you said you're gonna say it now say it yeah basically that's what it was it it ended up being great and it was the right decision and i I, and that's gonna kind of learn like oh okay there's more to this than just telling your jokes like i'm not gonna be you know grumpy and be like well this is you don't understand the art of stand-up I'm like, well, I don't understand the art of making a television show. So you kind of have to meet middle <laughs> to make that work. There's nothing, nothing worse than that, too. It's like if you're doing a movie or something like that, and you throw an improv line in and people really laugh at it. And they go, okay, let's do it again. You got to do 15 takes of this improv line to where, is this even funny anymore? Like once it's you tell the joke and you mention that people popped on it huge, then you have to say it again. It's like, it's not the same, right? Yeah, it, it was hard to recapture that energy. Uh, luckily, the audience really, really liked me. And and the one good thing about AGT uh, live audiences there, they're super excited to be there. They're they're diehards, you know. So so if they get to see something again and get to participate in something, they come right on board with it. They're like, okay, cool, yeah, we can do that. You know, we'll give you the we'll give you the reactions you need. It's a uh, it's really kind of nice. Uh, they're, they're, it's very similar to, I mean, probably not an exact one-to-one, but like hardcore wrestling fans. There are some really hardcore nerd AGT fans that will come on board with all that stuff. Right. <laughs> 
I know that one time, uh, right early in my WWE career, I had a, a match with Ken, Sh- Ken Shamrock where I came out. I don't know, re- know the reason why. They wanted me to wear a suit of armor. And I was like, I can't wear a suit of armor. It's going to like cut me to shreds. So they had me wear full hockey gear. And it was in Dallas. And I think they were playing... Oh, I don't know. Whoever they were playing in the finals of the of the of the maybe it was the Carolina Hurricanes or whatever the was. So I wore like a Hurricanes jersey in Dallas and got this huge reaction, major boos. People were so mad, and then something went wrong in the match. They made us do it again, so I had to come out again. The second time I came out, of course, people already knew what I was going to be wearing. They didn't react at all. They just like this is going to suck. This sucks. You know, he said a stupid attitude about it after that. But you know, our crowd was not uh, hardcore AGT marks shall we say <laughs> yeah they're they're a little too much i like the one thing i i, I always hated most about being a wrestling fan was often other wrestling fans <laughs> that are that are just a little bit too cool for school and, and know just enough where they think they know everything everything yeah yeah and, and that's kind of a, a little bit of how the agt like the really really big super fans they know just enough of how it works to think they know exactly how it works right, right, right. It, it took a lot of my power not to like go on reddit during this process and like correct people on things because i'm like that that's not a, a fight you win <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> just my pride was just like no you're that's not right no do you want a beautiful lawn enter true green the easiest way to get a great lawn just water and mow and they'll do the rest weed control fertilization aeration and more True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. How did you get along with with the judges? Did you have much interaction with them, or they kind of keep them separate from everybody? Uh, early on, especially, you're very separate from them, um, just because the first two rounds, the judges are the ones that are solely making the decisions, mm-hmm. so they don't want you to have any kind of like potential to butter somebody up right. or bother them or you know whatever it might be. Once you get to the live rounds, though, uh, the judges' comments matter. But it, since it's audience vote at that point, they're, it, it's a lot looser with you being able to, like, talk to them and, and see them, you know. So, you know, I ran into Howie a couple times at dinner after performances and things like that. Just, you know, mm. getting to have a nice long talk with Simon. Like, he came up during after my live performance uh, for the quarterfinals. You know, he came up and, like, just personally talked to me for about two minutes during a commercial break. Um so, so my relationship, I love the judges, but um, I think it's also that part of that factors into the fact that they loved me the entire time. <laughs> you know, uh, I get asked usually about Simon. He's the one I get asked about. What's Simon really like? And my answer is, well, I love him. I'm sure there's other contestants that I performed with this season that would have very different yeah. opinions on him, but he liked me the entire time. Um so yeah, he's great. <laughs> it seems that the, you know watching the show because because I, I hadn't seen the show a lot, but watched it obviously in, in the, the the last couple shows when I was involved with you. Uh, it's such a diverse, uh, eclectic group of acts. 
it would seem like I mean that it would be hard even from that aspect. It's not like it's you know last comic standing where you're going up against other uh, eight other comedians, whoever's funniest. It's just like I guess it depends on what you like. Like it'd be hard to vote for the comedian if you were super into the to the you know the the, the acrobatic dancing troupe or the kid playing the piano or like. It, it must be kind of hard to, to construct an act when you're going up against some of these ridiculous physical performers and you're nothing like that. It was very strange. I had to keep telling myself this just for my own well-being because I, I think everyone and even talking to my friends from AGT, the other contestants, you know, everyone kind of has this like when you do your thing, it, it's not it doesn't feel like a spectacular thing. Like I love stand up. But it doesn't feel like every time I do it, I'm I'm wowing myself with, right. oh, my gosh, I can do this, you know. But when I'm, when I'm watching, like, The Unbeatable, the dance crew, uh, you know, when I watch them, I'm like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I'm just up there telling jokes with my dumb mouth. <laughs> and these, they're, like, launching kids over balconies and things like that. Like, this is astounding. So you have to kind of remind yourself that you belong there too because because you know they couldn't tell jokes the way that i could you know Mm -hmm. those are two different things and it it is really tough on this show though because it's such a variety act that you are sort of at the mercy of a lot of people of just whether they like it or not you know um some people don't think the comics should be on there at all they they don't think it's a talent they don't care how funny you are you don't belong there um and I think the comedy is especially tricky on this show because uh, the example I've been using as a hypothetical to explain it is like, say there's a juggler on the show and you hate juggling, Chris. Right. You can watch him perform and still be like, even though I hate juggling, I can tell you're really good at juggling. You've practiced. You've worked hard on this for years. You are technically talented. I just hate juggling. With the comics, though, if someone doesn't think you're funny, you're a talentless hack. You're taking someone else's spot. (laughs) You don't belong to be on television at all. What are you doing? So you're kind of fighting against that. It's not just that, like, well, the comedy's not for me. It's, no, you suck. Get out of here. It would seem to – I would almost feel lazy, like, when – all you have to do for your routine is just come up with some jokes. And these other guys got to figure out the triple black flip Lindy from this one shoulder <laughs> to the other shoulder. And you just kind of show up wearing like a wrinkled t-shirt and sweats and just go through your bits. Exactly. And especially too, with comedy, like if you're good at it, you make it look easy. Right. Like, even though it's not, it's like, like anyone who knows comedy knows it's not an easy thing to do, but when you're good at it, it looks natural. It looks just very simple. You're just up there talking. You know, and so people see that and it's like, what the hell is this? This is not even, he's not even working. Like, what is he? Um, just as we start to uh, to wind down here, tell tell me the story about how I got involved with you. What did they pitch to you to, to get us to do that little bit together? Uh, so, so they were really vague about it at first because they don't want to get anyone's hopes up. Um, basically, once you get to the semifinals, because the finals come so quickly after that, They basically start planning for everybody. Um, They don't give you too much detail because they know you have other things to focus on in that exact moment. But um, I had mentioned early on, like I did a joke um, in the audition about how, you know, the other thing I wanted to be besides a comic was a pro wrestler. I had a name picked out and everything. I was going to be the cripple threat. 
Right. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that's a great name, yeah, by the way. Which is a 100% true story, too. That is absolutely the truth. Um, so I kind of mentioned that, and I had mentioned just, you know, in interviews, even stuff that didn't get aired, I usually mentioned pro wrestling, because pro wrestling is a huge reason why I got into performance. You know, I, I told you this uh, this personally, but, you know, your debut uh, in Chicago, I was there live for that. Uh, the countdown clock and like that moment was sort of what sealed for me like yep I don't know how I'm going to be a performer but that's what I'm doing so I kind of mentioned that and so they kind of started talking to me like very vaguely they didn't want to give me too much detail yet but they were like well who are your favorite wrestlers like if you had to name like who are your favorite wrestlers you know so and you're my all-time favorite wrestler Chris not just uh kissing ass because I'm here now, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the truth. No, I was like, I was like, yeah, it's Chris Jericho. I, you know, I love The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels. Like, I gave a little list, uh, but I mentioned, like, yeah, Jericho's the first. Um, and I even mentioned that you were uh, AEW, so I was like, with, you know, the NBC WWE thing, I'm like, I don't even know if it would be possible, but, you know, that's, that's who I would want if we were going to do something. And I guess they reached out to you at that point. Um, then I saw that you, like, kind of followed me on Twitter, and Instagram, and I honestly thought it was through Brad at first. I didn't know NBC or AGT was talking to you at all, um, you know, because we're both really good friends with Brad, so I kind of figured Brad mentioned something um, and was like, oh, yeah, my buddy's on this, and you kind of checked it out and liked it. Um, but, yeah, the, the, a lot of that seemed to happen really fast um, on on their end. Yeah, I was – I was uh, when I first heard about it, too, because I heard – Around the time when I started following you, it came up because I was like, well, there's no way that they're going to allow me to do it because, I mean, WWE is basically an NBC partner at this point. And yeah. I thought, well, for sure they're going to find out because the original plan was for me and The Miz, excuse me, I think to actually have a match with you. And I said, well, first of all, that's never going to happen. They're never going to have a WWE guy and an AEW guy. And B, I'll never do it with The Miz. It needs to be just me and Ryan. And if you guys want to do it, let me know. And lo and behold, to my surprise, they called me and we started to come up with some ideas. And like you said earlier, they actually followed our mindset and, and, and the design that we had for the piece. So it didn't turn out to be, you know, uber cheesy and something that will be almost detrimental to both of us rather than be something that was a very, very cool moment. Exactly. I, I was actually surprised because I even brought it up. Like, I, I think they might have not even known what the hell I was talking about. But but I had even originally brought up, I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I love Chris Jericho, but he kind of works for the competitor right now. So I doubt that NBC would allow this. So it was either something that they either really, really love me and they'd made it happen anyway, or whoever made those decisions on NBC just didn't know or didn't care. Right. <laughs> you know, they just went, oh, whatever. It's a it's a celebrity and he wants to perform with this celebrity. So cool. Yeah, and I loved it. It was it was great. So, and do you, do you know some of the other guys? Because when I posted some pictures, I got some feedback from like the Bucks. And um, have, have you met a lot of the guys and worked with them at all? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so I know Nick and Matt uh, pretty well. Um, I used to do some uh, wrestling themed comedy shows back in the day. This is probably eight nine years ago at this point. Out at like Ontario Improv and such like there. Um, Nick is actually a childhood friend of a good friend of mine, uh, my friend Darlene. Um, and so Nick came to a couple of those shows. So we kind of got to be friends that way. And then I met Matt through him. So I've known them for a long time. I know uh, Scorpio Sky really well. Um, he's uh, He used to wrestle uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood. 
um, who my good buddy, uh, I know through comedy more than anything, but he works for WWE now, Johnny LaQuasto. Okay. Um, yeah, who's an announcer with NXT right now. He just started a few months ago. Um, so I kind of met through there. That's how I know Peter Avalon, one of the librarians. Yeah, of course. For AEW. Uh, uh, I, I took a couple of training classes again in LA when I had moved out there just to see if like my body would take it better this time. And it didn't, <laughs> but uh, I met Peter during the training classes and we became really good friends from there. So uh, I think I made the right decision. Um, even just from my like nerdy wrestling fan point of view, I've got to hang out and become friends and see more wrestling as a comedian than I probably ever would have had I tried to be a wrestler. <laughs> so yeah, and you, and you have you know, like you like you said. There's always a great uh, camaraderie between comedians and wrestlers because there's so many of them that are into it. Talking about Brad and and and, and Fluffy and all those guys. So, um, you, like you mentioned, you're probably more. Uh, you have probably more uh, of a spotlight in the wrestling community by being a, com- a comedian than you would if you were actually a wrestler. Yeah, it, it's just one of those things. Uh, the, the worlds are are way more similar than I think anyone on the outside would understand. Right. Uh, you know, the the journey to make it, you know, all the traveling and, and doing these little shows for nobody, for no money, just so you can kind of hone your craft. Basically, the only thing that's different really is how the final product is presented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but even a lot of what it actually is, they're very similar. A lot of comics want to be wrestlers. And from what I understand, a lot of wrestlers wish they were comics, too. Well, yeah, you see that, too, with like Rob Van Dam and Dolph Ziggler. These guys are doing you know, stand up comedy, uh, trying to make a go of it in that respect too. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, the wrestling shows that I used to do, um, out in LA were actually with, uh, RVD. It was after he had left, uh, WWE, uh, for a little while back in like what, 2008, 2009, like yeah. that time frame, And he was trying to do some stand up. So, um, I was helping him write a little bit with that and we got to become buddies through stand up. Yeah. It was, uh, it was very surreal for me at that time for sure. <laughs> Last few questions for you. Um, what's your favorite wrestler or favorite match that you've seen? Uh, that I've seen live? Yeah, or live seen- or just one that you always like. I mean, if you're you're a big fan, so there's the one that really sticks out in your mind to you. For me, it's kind of the bigger moments. Right. Um, like like I like I said for you, the the countdown clock, that moment. That's still one of the loudest reactions I've heard to anything. Yeah, so crazy, yeah. Yeah, I had to go back home and watch the the VHS. Like that's how long it was. <laughs> I had to watch the the tape that my mom had made to actually hear what you and The Rock were saying because you couldn't hear anything in the building. Wow, that's so crazy that you were there too. I love it. Yeah, it was it was very cool. Um, I, I've gotten really lucky with being at some pretty big debuts. Mm-hmm. Like those moments are really cool. Like I was at the Rumble a few years ago where AJ Styles debuted um, for WWE. Um, another kind of one of those big moments. I was there when the Shield debuted at Survivor Series in Indianapolis. Oh, wow. Yeah, again, just randomly. They weren't, you know, advertised, obviously, but that's just what happened. I'd say probably the best match as far as just getting to see it live. I was at WrestleMania 27 for Undertaker and Triple H, uh, the No Holds Barred match. Oh wow, yeah, it was a great one. Yeah, that one was really cool just to be there. Um, I don't think that match gets enough credit for being as good as it was. Agreed. Yeah, because that, that mania kind of is just a weird mania all around. <laughs> it just kind of has a weird feel to it. But that match itself was really cool, especially being there live. You know, that was my first time being with like 80,000 people at once. Oh, wow. Gotcha. You know, so I was just like, okay, this is this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> what's your uh, what's your favorite joke that you like to tell? 
Um, I don't get to tell it anymore because it was on AGT, but uh, the one you mentioned earlier, the boy in my arms missing, uh, <laughs> it is, it, it's so simple and so quick and so jarring for an audience. It gets them on board right away. I love that. Uh, and there's another joke. I, I won't tell it here because I might be telling it on TV again pretty soon. Give, give us any joke that you have. Uh, any joke. So um, uh, it, it's basically a, a joke where I make fun of, uh, of white people who try to say racial slurs. <laughs> they try to come up with a way to say words they're not supposed to because that's how white people work. Um, <laughs> and uh, that, that's all I'll say for right now because I still have to get it approved. <laughs> well, give, give us one that you can say. Honestly, like, I, I always love the um, I, I love my openers, like the lines that I've had to do before I became someone that was known because I, I used to go into shows and I would just I, I was a no name that nobody recognized and I was just coming up there with a disability. So everyone's really uncomfortable. Right. So, so you know, like the boy in my arms missing. Um, I used to do something like, uh, yeah, I, I bite my nails. You know, I should probably cut that out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> The, the way I, I did this one for my audition, like, yeah, you know, I love stand-up comics, but I always wanted to do. Uh, it's actually not my first job, though. I've had other jobs in the past. I used to juggle chainsaws. Uh, it went well for a while. Uh, <laughs> had to get out, though. Couldn't take the politics. <laughs> That's, <what it> <laughs> That's great, man. Well, and here you are, finished third in America's Got Talent, and uh, lots of big stuff coming up. And it seems like you're going to be pretty, pretty booked for the next little while now. Oh, yeah. I, I would say right now, and I'm still working on other dates, I'm booked out for the next year plus Jeez. already. And um, like th this is the window. Like AGT for the comics, you get about a two-year window where if, if you don't do anything else, you're still going to be pretty hot from the show. So I'm trying to capitalize. I'm trying to make as much money as I can right now, travel as much as I can. I have debts to pay off. I want to actually have a savings account. That'd be nice. Uh, you know, like along those lines like weird stuff that you uh, probably should have as a 37 year old man right uh, but, you know health insurance will be cool again that's gonna be fun how is it for you uh it just as, as as we're almost finished how is it for you like on a dating standpoint do you have a girlfriend or have you had girlfriends uh, i have had girlfriends in the past it's always been tricky for me uh not to get too deep near the end here but um uh, it, it's tough. It takes a really strong person to date someone with a noticeable disability mm. because and it's not always shallow. I used to think it was like, oh, I can't believe these girls won't date me because of, you know, how awful are they? But, you know, I, I had a girl who who we dated for a while. And afterwards, she was like, it was really hard to be in public with you, not because I had a problem with it, but everyone stares at us like you get stared at all the time. You know, and, and that's weird for me because I'm not used to that. And so it takes someone that's really strong to kind of deal with it and understand. And and plus, I picked a job. Yeah. It's really hard to date when your significant other is gone 50 weekends. Right. Here, right. You yeah, know? Exactly. So, Just by proxy of your job, for sure. Yeah. So um, I think now, um, now what I got to worry about is people who are, you know, basically comedy rats, <laughs> you know, people <laughs> who are, uh, uh, I'm sure you've seen your fair share of those types yeah. of people over the years. Yeah. Uh, Cause there are people, you know, I'm getting, I never got messages before of like, Oh, you're so, you're so handsome when you're in this town, we should do this. I never got those before AGT. And now, you know, I'm not going to claim it's, you know, thousands, 
<laughs> you know, I'm nothing like that. But these people where you're like, really? Well, like you said, dude, you're you're a legitimate TV star. So it's not just comedy rats. It could be AGT rats now, you know, all everywhere. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. I think uh, a lot of single moms are looking for a stepdad. <laughs> For the, for the kids. That seems to be what the AGT clientele is on that front. Anyway, it's a lot of. Uh, uh, I'm gonna be uh, be weekend dad situation. Uh, dude, well, it was great uh, working with you and great uh, meeting up with you. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, seeing your full act one of these days when we're in the same town together. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm down in Tampa Thanksgiving weekend. So if oh, you're cool. around, I'm doing side splitters there. So we love that place, man. Like they gave, they gave me the best seat in the house whenever I'm in there. So absolutely, man. We'll we'll, we'll make that happen for sure. I'd love to see you again. And uh, again, not to get too corny on you, but thank you again for even agreeing to do all the the skit for AGT. It was a dream come true for me, and it turned out so great. And I, and I know it's a situation where you you're at a position in your life where you don't have to do anything you don't want to. So it meant a lot to me that you did it. Well, dude, like I said, I mean, when, uh, when the opportunity came up, the first thing I did was, was check your stuff out. I was like, this guy's really funny. So absolutely. Like it has a big, a big influence, whether I liked if, you know, if I didn't like your act, cause like I said, we did it the, the afternoon that I had a stadium show with Iron Maiden that evening. So it <laughs> no, wasn't like I was you just had sitting... other things to be dealing with. <laughs> exactly. Easily gone and done. Exactly. So, but, but like I said, it, it was a lot of fun and uh, I was a real, uh, a real big fan of yours from your routines and everything. So uh, there you go. Now we, now we're lifelong friends. Yeah. It's, it's very, very weird how this business, how things can change for you in, in a six month period <laughs> for sure. And Brad Williams is jealous as he should be. Cause, cause I actually replaced him with you. So <laughs> exactly. yeah, that's, I only have room for one handicapped, uh, a different weird comedian. <laughs> and uh, that's you now. Yeah. Otherwise you're starting a carnival and that's uncomfortable. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. All right, go see Ryan Neemiller do stand-up. He's got a bunch of great dates coming up, including a couple this weekend. He's going to be at the Kokomo Shrine Club in Kokomo, Indiana, tomorrow night, Saturday, November 16th. And then he's doing Laugh It Up in Poughkeepsie, uh, New York, on Sunday. And then he's doing two nights at Cavello's in New Hartford, New York, on November 20th and the 21st. You heard him. He's pretty much booked solid for the next year. Uh, get your tickets to one of his shows at CrippleThreat.com. What a great guy, a great experience that we had together at America's Got Talent and uh, very much a guy who took advantage of his disadvantages and made them positives instead of negatives. Something we can all learn. Uh, something else we can all learn about is the paranormal, terrifying stories of, uh, surrounding the Holzer files with uh, returning Dave Schrader from Beyond the Darkness and randomly hooked up with uh, Gabe Roth, Eli Ross brother, who's been on the show many, many times. They produced and created the newest hit show the newest hit paranormal show i believe it's on the travel channel it's the holzer files we're going to talk all about that and i'm going to scare the pants off you until then have a great weekend stay hard stay hungry peace love and hugs and a big yeah boy <laughs>